We've been going through here for a number of weeks looking at this matter of five to thrive, some spiritual disciplines and habits that can make us a a healthy Christian. And each of these habits are fundamental to our Christian life. Each of these five habits that we've looked at, they are firmly grounded in the very example that's given to us by the Lord Jesus himself and are taught in the word of God. When we practice these disciplines, we experience God's power and manifested life within us. Interestingly, I said at the beginning of this that none of these five habits are new, novel, groundbreaking, or revolutionary. People today seem to be looking for that new trick, that new tip, an easier or better life. I really feel like if I wanted to make some money, I just would write a a diet book and just say new diet. And that's, that, that'll be a bestseller right there. Yeah, it doesn't even matter what it says. The more confusing, the better it'll be. People think that's really something right there. Because we're always looking for something new that'll work. But these five habits found throughout the Word of God, these are just basic elements of following Jesus Christ. They are what we would call fundamentals. And we can always use a refresher on the fundamentals of Christianity. We can spiritually fall into some bad habits. We can fall into a rut. You may feel lethargic personally. You may feel disconnected from the body of Christ spiritually. And if you feel stuck and you're looking to grow, let's keep going back to these five habits. Now, I want us to understand, as we said from the very beginning, we're not looking just to get across five strategies because we can become so strategy minded that we miss imbibing these as a way of life. What we're looking to do is create a culture, a culture of discipleship. In other words, it's a life of discipleship. It's not a checklist. Well, I did my my routine today. It's not that. It's not a routine. It's a relationship. And these five spiritual disciplines are to become a fabric of our lives so we can enjoy the relationship that we have with Jesus. Let's review these. Number one, weekly worship. When we talk about weekly worship, we're talking about your in-person presence at the worship service of a local body in which you as a believer belong to as a member. Now, there's a a lot of times people think, well, Sunday morning, that's it. That's, That's good enough. Well, remember when Jesus was resurrected, he showed up with his church, his group of disciples, even on Sunday night. And the Bible says in Acts chapter two, where we find all five of these disciplines, well, they met daily. The idea is wherever, whenever the the body is meeting together and it's become the trend today, let's just have one service a week. Well, I think God's so good and he's worthy. We have a few services a week. And the truth is we don't need him less. We need him more. And if you don't think we do, just read the news. Weekly worship. Number two, we talked about daily prayer. Prayer just simply talking to God. You can talk to him. We get excited if we get tickets to go see our favorite athlete or get to see our favorite star. But I want to tell you, everybody and anybody ought to pale in comparison and be anticlimactic if you were able to talk with the king of kings, the creator of the universe. And you had a chance to do so this morning, even just a few minutes ago. And because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, you can talk to him anytime. Daily scripture reading. We talk about daily scripture reading. We're talking about a regular time each day when you read the Bible. It's a good idea that you start out your morning reading the Bible. It's It's a good idea that you check your roadmap before you go on your journey through the day. And, and getting into the Bible, it's a good idea to have even a schedule, something to, to help you keep on schedule. 
So it's just not random. It, it, it just pick something here and pick something there. No, you, you want to you have a systematic way of doing it. Why? Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it just gives you a guide. What's the whole purpose? So you can check it off and get a certificate at the, at the end of the year. No, so that you can allow the word of God to do its work in your heart, transforming your life and helping you know the very mind of God. See, a lot of the things that you want to know, God's already told us. He's already given us his opinion about it. It's in the Bible. And you want to be able to have a steady intake of God's word. And then we talked about number four last time we were together, looking at regular giving. It, it's, a, it's a healthy stewardship of our financial gifts to the local church. Um, it's not about, we talked about this, that God doesn't need our money so why do we give? Because we need God. And God says, wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart will be found. And so God is simply saying, I know how you function. I know how you work. I made you. And if you will put your emphasis where God put his emphasis, he shed his blood. The most precious and valuable thing, Peter tells us, he shed it for the church. He died for the church. And so part of our financial stewardship is not just making sure that we are being good stewards over what God has loaned to us, but putting it where God places his value as well. And then number five this morning, we're going to look at and close out this, these five habits with sharing your faith, sharing your faith. The ideal and fullest fullest expression of this sharing your faith is the idea that we would have the opportunity to declare the gospel and to invite people to make a decision to trust Christ as their savior. Now, when we're talking about sharing your faith, it, it involves different dimensions. And I don't want us to miss this. It does involve praying for the lost. Praying for people that you know who do not know Jesus Christ to be their Savior. So it is about praying for the lost. It's also about building relationships with people, caring for them, listening to them. Building a relationship for the purpose that we can bring them to Jesus Christ. It's also about inviting people to come to church. And coming to your Bible study and inviting them to a ministry here of the church. So sharing your faith and declaring the gospel, it involves all of this. But the point is that we should be in the habit of asking God to use us to share our faith with others, to declare the gospel, and that we would be responsive to every opportunity that God gives us. We call these divine appointments. And so this morning, I want us to look at this matter of declaring our faith. See, witnessing is not just presenting facts about God. Witnessing can also be looked at as it's praising God to others. But we're going to have to be very sober about the reality of eternity. Every person is a soul. They will live forever as long as God lives in either heaven with God or hell separated from God. May God use his word this morning and his Holy Spirit to help us in the biggest business in all the world, the soul-winning business. We're going to look at Psalm 107, but before we do, I'm going to ask Christy to come and sing a very sobering song. Would you listen carefully to the message of this song?
Amen. Have you ever wept over a soul? Dio Moody told the story of his conversion by stating that when he was in Boston, he used to attend a Sunday school class, and one day he remembered his Sunday school teacher who came around the counter shop where he was working, and he put his hand upon his shoulder, and he talked to him about Christ, and Moody said, I had not felt ever before what I felt then. I said to myself, this is the strangest thing. Here's a man that I've never known until lately and he's here weeping over my sins and he's weeping over my soul. And he said, I did not understand that then, but years later, Moody, after getting saved, said, I think I'm beginning to understand. When God shows you the value of your soul to Him, and you see the value of other souls to God. It ought to do something to us. When God squeezes the heart, it's got to come out someplace. We're looking at this fifth habit. And I always recoil when I mention the word habit. Thus we think it's just a check mark duty. Jesus came to seek and to save. He didn't come to check a box. He came looking for us and to make a way for us. Witnessing, as I mentioned, is not just presenting facts about God. It's about praising God to others. When you've experienced the grace of God, you should share those truths with somebody else. In other words, we're talking about making much of Jesus this morning. Making much of Jesus tonight. Making much of Jesus on Monday. And then try it again on Tuesday. And then you have some other days of the week and continue to make much of Jesus. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, speak and be a witness and give your testimony out of the overflow of a grateful heart. Psalm 147 verse 1 teaches us praise is comely. The word comely means it's fitting. When you praise and boast on God and talk about Him, it's fitting for a child of God who's experienced the grace of God to praise Him. Nothing is more beautiful than a believer filled with gratitude, sharing that good news with others. Titus 2 and verse 10 says, We should adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. There's not an area of your life where it should not reflect what God has done for you and what you think about God. This morning I'm wanting us to see that we ought to have a heart that is being developed, a heart of gratitude for God's goodness and mercy. I want us to see this morning that as a child of God, we can identify three parts of a testimony and how we can share our faith and our testimony and to begin to speak from the heart about what Christ has done in our life. Next to the scriptures, the most powerful thing and tool that you have in witnessing is your own personal testimony. A testimony is simply our story. A testimony is simply your story. Every believer has one. If you don't have one, you're not... A child of God. If you're a child of God, you have a testimony. A testimony is simply your story. A testimony is simply my story. Let's say that together. A testimony is simply my story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Every believer has one. No one can give it as you can. 
No one can give your testimony like you. It's yours. And it's meant to be shared with others. Now, the number one excuse for not witnessing is that people do not know what to say. So I think it's very appropriate and helpful that we see a good starting point is your testimony. People will often argue with what a preacher says, but I'm going to tell you, it's hard to argue with a changed life. Religious leaders hated what Peter and John taught when they taught uh, about this lame man and other miracles. But the Bible says in Acts 4 and verse number 14, when this lame man was healed and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, and the Bible says they could say nothing against it. Oh, they had some things to say about Peter and John, but when they saw the miracle of a changed life, uh, they ran out of words. The testimony of a transformed life is the most effective witness. I want you to to note some verses here with me. I I don't know if we're going to have them on the screen, but I want you to see the common thread of testimony in each of these verses. Mark 5 and verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus said, go home to thy friends. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. See the testimony? He's telling them, go and share your testimony. Luke 2 and verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. Personal testimony. John 4 and verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Why? For the testimony of this woman, for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Acts 3 and verse 6, silver and gold have I none, the apostle said, but such as I have give I thee. Personal testimony. Acts 4 and verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Romans 1, 16. Paul says, so, so as much as in me is. Actually, that's verse number 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Peter says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 1 John 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. I want you to see this morning at our text. Psalm 107. Would you look at it, please? And out of respect for the Bible, let's go ahead and stand. And we're going to look at Psalm 107. Go down to verse number 9, verse 1 to 9. Notice this great psalm. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. That's a good place to say amen right there. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord and their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. This morning we're preaching on this fifth habit of declaring your faith, but I've entitled it this way. Saved? Are you saved? Then say so. Thank you. Please be seated. 
key verses here in verses one, verses 1 and 2 rather. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Questions. Have you had your sins forgiven? Do you know the Lord Jesus in a personal way? Has the love of God become real to you? Is heaven your destination? Not getting any answers there. Is Christ your companion? Then say so. The context of this and In chapter 107, the psalmist exhorts God's people to give thanks because of how gracious God has been in redeeming His people. The word redeem is this word of buying. Peter talks about Jesus bought us with His precious blood. Jeremiah uses the word redeemed quite often and he's buying us back. The idea from the slave market of sin. And here the psalmist is saying to the people of God, He redeemed you. He delivered you from the Babylonian exile. And he gathered you back into the land. Now the emphasis in chapter 105 is on Israel's exodus coming out of Egypt. In chapter 106, it is on God's long-suffering care for his people. But this psalm, this chapter 107, it focuses on the Lord's redemption of the nation from captivity in Babylon. So you see that God's always been about this matter of redeeming his people. Now, when we get saved, that's a one-time event. Saved from sin and hell as we would think about. Jesus died one time, buried one time, resurrected one time. And so it takes one time to call upon Jesus to be your Savior and to invite Him into your life and to make Him the Lord and leader and master of your life. But throughout the Christian life, He's all about delivering us. He's all about the abundant life. He's all about this poor man cries and the Lord will hear him and save him out of all of his troubles. And so the circumstances described in this psalm, the context, yes, is this, that it applies specifically to Israel. But it's a psalm of testimony. It's the song of Israel's deliverance But this can be the testimony of any saved child of God. Now, witnessing, sharing your faith, declaring the good news, it ought to be done out of a heart of gratitude and a spirit of joy. You read through this entire psalm, you can do it later, and you're going to find stages in Israel's history where there was repeated mercies in every circumstance. Every believer's testimony is different, yet each testimony of a child of God will have similarities. Details will vary, but the truth remains. That is, our story is all about God's mercy in our life. Now, there are three parts to a complete testimony of a Christian. It's the story of our life before. Christ. B.C. Before you came to Christ. Before God saved your soul. It's then number two, the story of how we came to know Christ. And number three, it's the story of what Christ means to us now that we are saved. Number one, it's the story of our life before Christ. Number two, it's the story of how we came to know Christ. Number three is the story of what Christ means to us now that we are saved. Look at it again. Number one, the story of our life before Christ. This is the most difficult time of your life. Sometimes people think, no, the most difficult time is when I got saved. Not if you're really saved, it's not. The most difficult time is when you were a stranger, an alien, an enemy of God. When you were in death and darkness, when there was no hope found within. But when you came to Jesus, all was changed. 
The story of our life before Christ is the most difficult. The story of how we came to know Christ is the most important. The story of what Christ means to us now is the most neglected. Because many, though they may have gotten saved, they've wandered far from God. This psalmist's testimony in Psalm 107, it gives us all three parts. If we're going to be effective in a culture, in a life of being a soul winner, a witness for Jesus, we've got to understand this dynamic. Oh, I thought about just going through and giving us some facts and giving us some motivation. But I really believe that a lot of it is found in the very element of what God's people faced in the Old Testament that's to carry over in the New Testament. And that is, I'm not just telling people about Jesus. I am praising Jesus to people. I want you to see number one. The testimony and witness of every Christian it says this, I once was lost. I've heard the songwriter say, before I got saved, I had to get lost. And a lot of people are on the church role of a membership, but they never got saved. You can join a church and still not be saved. The church can't get you to heaven. Only Jesus can. Notice verse 2 and 5, 2 through 5. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. What, what we're hearing is a description, a condition of Israel before she was delivered. And it provides a vivid picture of life before God. See, by emphasizing this spiritual discipline and encouraging you to share your faith, what we're assuming is that the Bible's true when it teaches all are lost without Jesus. In verse 2, we see the truth. He says, the psalmist says, I was in bondage to the enemy before receiving Christ. In other words, to redeem, again, is to buy back. Verse 3 and 4, we find this concept that we just read. He's saying, I searched for something to fill the emptiness before receiving Christ. In verse number uh, 3 there, he's talking about, or verse 4, solitary. It's a reminder that without God... We are alone in this world. You may be amidst, in the midst of a crowd. You may, have the, the, you may be the leader of the pack. But without Christ, you're alone and solitary in this world. King Solomon testified that life without God is emptiness, vanity, and vexation of spirit. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 14. In verse number 5, we see this truth that before receiving Christ, I was hungry and thirsty in my soul. Why? Because only Christ can satisfy. Believers who have been saved for some time can unintentionally speak down to others. But we must explain that we're all sinners needing God's mercy. And we never get past needing the mercies of God. Don't ever forget the pit that Christ saved you out of. Never forget where you were. Never forget that before Christ, without Christ, you were starving, hungry, thirsty, empty, solitary. Let me say this as a reminder on this part of your story. When you're sharing your story with somebody, spare them of the details. I mean, words convenient, you can, but don't give your entire life story. It's not your life that makes a difference. It's the life of Christ that's to make the difference. So stay on the subject of salvation. Do not share sordid details about your life and sin. The point is you want to glorify God, not glorify your sin. Do not use religious jargon either. In other words, explain your terms and speak in, a, in an understandable way. 
A great way to, to test whether or not your testimony makes sense is try it on a first grader. Yeah, you may want to stay away from using such phrases such as the, the hypostatic union and, and uh, the ordo salutis. And you say, I don't even know what those are. Don't worry about it. And, um, but you, if you can't explain it where a first grader can understand it, then you probably are going to have a difficult time explaining it so a 50-year-old can quite understand it. Number two. The testimony and witness of every Christian says, not only once I was lost, but number two, one day I came to know the Lord. We find this in verse number six. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he did what? All right, let's try it all there. Verse number six. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Every testimony ought to say there was a day in which I was lost, I was undone before I met Christ, before I encountered Christ and Christ encountered me. But then one day I came to know the Lord. When I met Jesus, he changed everything. This reminds me that all people are saved the same way. Have you ever heard this? Sure you have. If you've been in church any length of time, you'll hear somebody give a testimony about somebody and say, when they got saved, they got gloriously saved. Well, you only get saved one way. You may have had fireworks. You may not have had fireworks. Either way, if it was glorious for one, it's glorious for all because we only get saved one way. You, you've got to recognize your condition apart from God. Romans 3, 23, all of us have sinned. Then you've got to call upon the name of the Lord in faith. Romans 10, chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. And recognizing that it's not my meaning it that saves me. It's not my sincerity that saves me. It's only Jesus and Jesus only that can save. We're delivered by God alone. And this phrase here that we just read in verse 6, out of, out of their trouble, out of their distresses. It's a powerful reminder that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us from so much, from sin, from ourselves, from hell, from the devil, from eternal judgment in hell. We must always remember Jonah chapter 3 and verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. But not only are all people saved the same way, but I want you to think about this. When we're talking about the day we came to know Jesus and meet Jesus, we need to speak about Christ more than we speak about ourselves. See, the testimony is your story about Him. It's not your story. It's not my story. Oh, our stories might get sensational and you might get a book deal out of it. You might get a TV show out of it, but that's not going to get salvation to somebody else out of our story. Our story ought to be about him. It's him. It's Jesus saves. Another thought here is do not major on minors. The circumstances surrounding how you got saved are not as important as the truth you came to understand. Don't get so caught up in surrounding circumstances. And then when you give the gospel, the good news of the resurrection, the gospel, that sin is the problem, hell is the consequence, Jesus is the answer. Make it plain. It is plain. Sin is the problem. Christ died for our sins. Hell is the consequence. Christ died. And if you don't get saved, then you will pay the price of eternal separation. But Jesus is the answer. Christ died for our sins. Make it plain. Give the gospel plainly. The story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is more important than your story. Well, some... I've just fallen into deep sleep there, so let me try it again. The story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it's more important than your story. 
Now you say amen, so when was the last time you told somebody about it? Explain how the person you're speaking to can call upon the Lord to save. Let me give you a third thought here this morning. And that is the testimony and witness sharing our faith of every Christian should say, I now have new life. You say, I've been saved for 25 years. It's new life. It's still new. It's new because it wasn't from you. It wasn't because of you. It's because of Christ. His mercies are new every morning. He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's new life. And if you're saved, you can wake up every morning and say, I have new life. Exhausted. You can barely make it to bed before falling into bed and going into an all-night coma. You can still say at that point, I have new life. See, deliverance, salvation, deliverance for the people of God, it wasn't the end, it was the beginning. When you and I got saved, it was not our ticket to get to heaven. No, it was the door, the entrance, the beginning of a new relationship with the God of the Bible. Christ not only saves us from something, but he saves us for something. We have new life in him. I mean, look at it in verse number seven. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Few thoughts. First part of verse seven, he led them forth by the right way. Christ now leads my life in the right way. Like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, my philosophy is this. Everything is messed up. Until God gets into it. And when you and I got new life in Christ, he now leads me and my life in the right way. That doesn't mean I always do what is right. It means he always does. Seven. Look at the next section of verse seven. That they might go to a city of habitation. Christ now has a city of habitation for me. That is, there's a perfect place being prepared for prepared people. That's my eternal home. That's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Look at verse number nine. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. You know what I get from that? Christ now brings peace and purpose to my life. See, my salvation, my salvation is not just past tense. My salvation is not just something God did way back there when I was little. My salvation is not just future tense when I get to heaven. My salvation is present tense. You know, a good testimony, that's what we're talking about. You sharing your faith and your testimony. It always is present tense. Why? See, so many give their testimony. And all they're talking about is something way back there. And somebody can look at you and say, I don't know if I want what you have. You ever seen talking about diet since you brought it up? I wish you wouldn't have brought it up earlier, but if somebody advertised a diet, you ever seen the people they use? And you look at them, you, you know enough to say, they Photoshop that, that that's, that's not a real picture. But I always, I always get the before and after. And I thought maybe someday I, I might get to be one of those models. So I'm, I'm working on the before picture right now. And I can do that. But, but you, know, you know how they do it. It's the same person. The light's darker for the before picture. And the person's pooching their belly out. And, and then they, they have a glamour shot for the second. Or they just Photoshop all together. And they're saying, buy this product. And you, and you say, that's, that's not even, that's, that's, that is fake. What's the number there? 1-800 and, because it works. 
But if you're telling people, oh man, I, I, you need to get saved, you need to get, I'm going to give you a track and you read it, you'll get saved. And all the while you're sitting there, uh, oh, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to say that, I didn't mean to take God's name in vain. And, and uh, laughing at a dirty joke and looking at someone going by who's not your wife and looking at her like you should look at your wife. And, and, and they see all this and you say, oh, you ought to get some of this. And they're thinking, well, I would like to see the after picture because you ain't got what I need. Every testimony ought to be present tense. You say, I, 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 don't, really, I, I, I don't really believe in cramming it down people's throat. But you believe in helping send them to hell, don't you? You say, I don't really like what you say. I don't really like what you think. Because my Bible says you will give an account and so will I. And one day you will look into the eyes of people who you knew in Revelation chapter number 20 before he cast them into the lake of fire. And they're going to say, why didn't you tell me? And here's the reason why we don't. is because we've missed the present tense of experiencing God now. When you're describing this part of your life, don't ever give the idea that you're perfect or that your life is without trouble. You think about the apostles in the Bible, most of their time preaching, they're in jail. They're bloody. And they're yet they're preaching, you need Jesus Christ. And you know, there were people who got saved who saw a bloody Paul. They weren't saying, man, I'd like to make the money he's making and, and drive the vehicle he's driving. No, what they were saying was, I'd like to have that peace and that joy. I'd like to have that, that glow that he had. He's got more problems than I do, but he has more peace and joy and power. He's got something I don't have. I've got religion. He's got something better. Make much of the blessings of your new life in Christ. Speak with a sincere and joyful spirit. Nothing is more attractive than a happy Christian. I'm preaching to the choir. No, literally, I'm preaching to the choir. I want our choir to work on looking at the words that they're singing. I, I, I don't know if you've ever looked at the words you're singing. We're getting excited out here, and y'all look like you haven't looked at the words you're singing. Uh, look, look at verse number 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness... Do you see the divine enthusiasm? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. The Apostle Paul, he repeatedly gave his salvation testimony throughout his life. Even when standing before kings, his standard message included how he came to know the true and living God. It is said that the prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he gave his salvation testimony over 300 times in recorded sermons. He never seemed to tire of telling how Christ changed his heart. The old story was always fresh. Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith once said, there are five gospel records of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and the believer. Most people will never read the first four. Now, let me encourage you from here. Try writing out your salvation testimony. When we went through netcasters, we had our netcasters do that. It just helps to write it out and be able to see it. Your life before receiving Christ. How you came to know Christ. What Christ means to me now that I am saved. Write out the talking points for each of the three parts of your personal testimony. 
Then find a partner, your spouse, your children, somebody at work and say, hey, I, I just was preached to by my pastor on this. I want to try it out. Can I try it on you? Try it and see. Then, then work on speaking from your heart about the Lord Jesus Christ. Practice giving your testimony. Practice your testimony to at least one unsaved person between now and our next service. Now that's tonight. You can find somebody. Statistics show we've got more unsaved here in our county than saved. And to, to help, we, we're always trying to, we want to help. We just ordered some new tracks. These will be on the table when you go out. We've got these. R.B. Willette wrote this. And so I asked if we could get these. We ordered them. And, um, and it, this is a blessing in many ways. We've got our information, church information on here. One, it's a blessing because you can actually read it. There, there's a, you can read, read, the, read the track. And that, that's a help. If you can't read it, what good does it do? You want them to swallow it? You know, I just, how is it going to get them if they can't read it? But here's something, and I, I was with Brother Willette every day, and, and I've been with him out, outside of here, and, and I've seen him do this so many times, and I thought, this will be a help. Here's something for you to try. Brother Willette did it, and without fail, he was successful every time I've been with him over the years. But here's what he does. He pulls out the track. And he says, he'll say to somebody or he'll say it before he pulls it out. Has anyone told you today that God loves you? I'd see time and again, somebody would go, no. He said, well, let me be the first. And he pulls it out and says, do you know how much God loves you? And people would take it. You know, what people are needing to know is the truth. And that is God does love them. So you can pick up a stack. They'll be back there on the table. We've got 5,000 of these. We run out. We'll buy 5,000 more. We'll buy 50,000. And just pick it up and just try. Has anyone told you today how much God loves you? And if they have, then you say, well, let me be the second. And then just pull it out and you hand it to them. And let's trust God to open the door to be able to share your testimony. Witnessing is more than telling them facts about who Jesus is, it's praising God to other people. It's not religion, it's a relationship. Let's stand together, please.